0: And welcome back footy fans. It's your host coach Donnie has back with another episode of Donnie's disposals. And here it is, ladies and gentlemen, I know I've done through my off season supporter series, but I caught an opportunity. I just could not turn down one tweet sometimes can find really cool things to happen. This gentleman here who is joining me today saw my tweet about a game. I was watching on the Sandful now app between Norwood and and I, can't, I think it was Central Districts, and he put it out there, so I have to appreciate this, that he loved a tweet from a little old American watching some sandful. I bring in Mr. Phil Aspinall. Phil, thank you for joining me today.
1: Hey, Donnie, it's great to be here with you, mate, and, uh, yeah, it is amazing. One tweet brought us together. Pretty cool.
0: It is absolutely fantastic. So before we go into the footy talk, and I'd love to, I can't wait to find out some information about how – a guy in SA got into commentary and does SF, SA, NFL, but we'll get to that just a little bit. Just a little bit about who you are personally, outside of and behind the mic when it comes to footy.
1: Yeah, so I'm Phil Aspinel. I'm 41 years old, born and bred in South Australia. I'm one of five boys, so footy's always been in our upbringing. we played it from a, a little kid in the backyard at home, always had half a team to compete against with the five brothers um, I'm happily married, beautiful wife, Magdalena. It's her birthday tomorrow, so a shout-out. Happy birthday, Magdalena. And a beautiful miracle boy, a four-year-old son named Ruben. Um, he's uh, just the light of our lives. And uh, working in aluminium sales, work for an aluminium company called Capral. Um, and have been doing that for about 15
0: years and love it fantastic fantastic well definitely when you get a chance please wish your lovely wife a happy birthday from Des Moines Iowa from me we'll get it on the we'll get it on the podcast there so we'll Absolutely. have it forever so <laughs> we'll, we'll jump into it as you said born and raised in footy mad essay I gotta ask this favorite part about the sport of footy
1: I just love the the competition I love you know the the, the camaraderie that you get I of how teams come together um and it's just been in my upbringing since I was a little fella so it's all I've ever known born and raised in the heart of central districts in elizabeth um and uh yeah been coming to central's games since I was probably 7 or 8 years old
0: awesome awesome and as you said one of five boys so i know this is probably going to be a fun one what is your earliest footy memory that you can recall
1: probably the competitiveness i'm in the middle mid range i've got two older brothers and one younger brother two younger brothers rather so probably just that competitive nature And um, a a game that a classic Aussie rules game marks up where you get a group of guys to stay at one end, you kick the ball up and you take marks over the top of the pack. And um, being a bigger guy, being the bigger of all of us, um, I ended up always having to be the one that everyone climbed over. I never Mm -hmm. got the chance to jump over the others. So probably that's one of my earliest memories as a kid growing up. You hate
0: saying it, but you were the stepladder for everybody's sucky. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nobody remembers who Madra jumps on. They just remember that Madra jumped on them. That's it. Unfortunately. Exactly. So uh, so you said you grew up with it, you played it with your brothers there. So I know so I know you played. So when you did did you play any organized footy? And if so, what position were you?
1: Yeah, look, for most of my junior footy, I played in the ruck, being one of the tallest kids. So definitely uh, spent a lot of time playing in the ruck and then managed to find myself playing uh, positional you know, spots, centre-half forward, full forward. Uh, and then in the latter parts of my amateur career, before I had a bad injury that got me into commentary to find something else, um, I ended up playing uh, playing full-back. So I played a year with uh, a team here in Adelaide called the Golden Grove Kookaburras and spent a year playing, uh, playing at full-back, which was different, was interesting. I think playing a defensive position um, uh, in the back part of my career was assisted by being a forward for predominantly all of my career. So um, it made me think about how a forward would play. And I was able to use that to my advantage as a defender.
0: Yeah. I have noticed that that it seems like several times that a a renaissance of a forward can be going back. I mean, Patty McCartan, I mean, I'm a a huge Sydney Swan supporter. I'm, I'm, unabashed when it comes to it so seeing patty mccarton go from that always known as a forward and then this last year goes into an intercepting intercepted defense, one of the best absolutely yeah. fantastic so so we, we jump to it as i see i see that Sandful gear on that you're wearing so i ask this mm-hmm. do you support a Sandful club and if not have you ever come close to
1: uh, absolutely. Donnie being born and bred in Elizabeth, there is only one team and that's the Central District's Bulldogs. Um, I'm actually lucky enough, I've been coming here for what, 40 odd years now, 30 odd years. Um, the club was kind enough to let me use their boardroom at the moment. So we're doing this podcast live from the uh, Central District's boardroom where over the many decades of uh, of the club's history, some some amazing administrators and decisions would have been made from this very boardroom. Um, so yeah, Doggies fan through and through, uh, used to hang around with the cheer squad, follow the team end to end and um, cheer on all the boys, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a passion of mine. Um, I bleed red, white, and blue.
0: That is that is fantastic, and and I think it's kind of funny that it's a great it's a great transition because I remember Luke Darcy in, in the year 2016 when he was calling the GWS game, and you could tell that his doggies part came out when he was able to say that they made it to the grand final. So I ask this sometimes as a caller: Is it difficult to maintain the fandom if you're calling a Central's game, having to be neutral? And if not, do you believe it's easier not supporting a side?
1: Uh, The only easier thing I find, Donnie, is the um, player identification. I quite find, I see a lot more centrals games than I will from others. So Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I pride myself on with commentary is making sure I get the player right, making sure I Mm -hmm. know who it is. So if I'm doing a centrals game, it's second nature. I don't need to worry about doing too much research. Of course, there's always new players. But back to your initial question, it was extremely difficult early days to not Take my Central's hat off when commentating, and a little bit of familiarity to the point where I'd almost be calling Central's players by both their Christian name and their surname, and other opposition players just say, you know, Smith's got the ball type thing. So mm-hmm. that took a little while to get some mentoring and get that out of my my commentary style. Um, no doubt, there's no denying that if I'm not the play-by-play caller at the time and the doggies kick a goal, there's a little bit of a fist pump under the commentary bench. But um, I certainly try and keep that uh, that bias level-headed when I'm calling.
0: A, it's never easy to do it and, and you respect you respect that you're honest about it so i absolutely love that so so we'll, we'll stay with centrals and again I, I can see that absolutely awesome photo just over your left side shoulder with the awesome yeah. trophy there and some of the some of the photos there so it was a perfect transition do you remember the first centrals item you were ever given or bought
1: uh yeah it was a scarf a central district scarf i reckon it was a hand-me-down um, my parents are uh, central supporters when they first came over from England, the old 10 pound Poms. And it was a central's, girl, a central's uh, scarf, rather, a red, white, and blue knitted scarf that I was given. And I reckon I've still got it home that I've handed down to my son.
0: Fantastic. I love, I love hearing those little knickknacks that they, that people get have, and I, I know one person that I interviewed was Melvin Demons that she got it when she was a little girl and she still has it. And she plans on giving it to her child when she, when she does have it. So I love those, those stories. And then I, I asked this just because again, since you're such a huge doggy supporter, what's the first Central's game that you attended live?
1: I remember coming here to Elizabeth Oval, or now known as Convenience Oval, get the sponsors plug in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was about 1986, so I would have only been about four or five years old, and it was Central's and Glenelg, the Tigers. Ironically, they're playing the Tigers this morning in a trial game that I've come out to have a look at. So 1986, I remember my dad walking me down the, the famous concrete terraces, the steps here at Elizabeth. And um, I just remember thinking, wow, those men out on the Oval, they're a lot bigger than in real life than what they look like on TV.
0: Yeah. It's, it's insane to think about that, that it's, you, you see him on the TV screen, you're like, he doesn't look that big. And then you get to the, you get to the field and you're like, Whoa, okay. That was definitely, (laughs) definitely bigger than I thought. So you you might have kind of already answered this next question because again, everybody gets into commentary or coaching or, or so many different things outside of being a footy player a little bit differently. So can you remember, you, I think you kind of said you got into an injury which kind of helped you get into it is that the main reason that you decided to go into commentary or you just wanted to stay involved with the footy unfortunately when your career was over
1: yeah when footy uh, had to come to a playing halt for me due to a bad knee injury and, and it was almost a decision that I just didn't want to risk getting injured again um mm-hmm. I was a sales rep on the road with a company car at the time and it impacted my ability to do my job so I was concerned that that would have an impact there so um I started off by heading along to central's games and just as a fan there was an online forum and i would just blog about the game i would write some notes down during the game i would blog about it and then a colleague of mine who's a wonderful friend now as well a gentleman by the name of phil hurd and happened just to notice my details within the blogging and and touched out to, through social media and asked me do i want to have an opportunity to to help out with the broadcast and there was a local community radio station broadcasting some games and it all started there. Life FM with the name of the radio station and Phil Hurd and, and the Life FM crew gave me that opportunity. And that was 16 years ago, Donnie. I'm in my 16th season of Broadcasting Sample.
0: No, that's that's absolutely fantastic. Congratulations on that. And and you absolutely I listened to that Norwood Centrals game and it was fantastically called by both of you guys. So keep up the great work. You're, you're still going fine. So I asked this. I've done a little bit of commentary as, as we kind of set off, Mike. I'm more of I'm more of a color guy. I don't I don't know if I have the, the quick facial recognition plus the fact that I don't have TV cameras and all that when it comes to USAFL games. So yep. I do more I do more of the 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 special comments, as, as the Aussies say, not color commentary, as we say over here in America. I don't know why there's such a difference, but favorite part of Mount Calling, the footy?
1: I think it's just uh, painting the picture. Uh, I started off in radio and one thing that a famous broadcaster here in Adelaide told me when I, I asked for some advice when I bumped into him once is when you're commentating, and particularly from a radio perspective, you got to think about that. He said to me, think that there's a farmer on a tractor in the middle of a paddock. And he's listening to the game and you're painting that picture. You need to be able to let him see in his mind what's happening on the field. And that's always stuck really nicely with me. It's resonated that I've got to paint the picture. Um, In recent times, things are a little bit different, calling uh, not on radio anymore and predominantly for the streaming side of it. So a little bit different in that visually people can also see what's happening. But I like that base skill set that paint the picture. And that's what I love, being able to let people hear what's happening and see what's happening.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely great. And I know it's, it's not, it's, it's such an interesting skill to be able to, to kind of weave um, the your words to be able to kind of make a the tapestry that is the game. So, so it, such an incredible talent and, and never easy. So, so I give you kudos on that. So we'll go from the greatest to the worst. What's the hardest part about calling the footy?
1: Uh, to be honest, that player identification can sometimes be a little bit tricky. Um, certainly, particularly at the start of a new season, if there's a lot of new faces, hence the reason I come to trial games. I often say to young broadcasters, we're doing a little bit of mentoring in the last couple of seasons. The football players have a preseason. The commentators need to have a preseason as well. You can't expect to rock up round one, not seeing five or six new faces, and expect to be able to identify them over on the outer side of an oval with their half half their shoulder turned. Not being able to see their Guernsey number for identification. So, mm-hmm. um, certainly the player identification can be a challenge. Uh, and also, I think sometimes it depends on the style of the game. If the game's a little bit slow and a bit harder to call and not as, as lively with a lot of action, again, going back to that, painting the picture, being able to, you have to be good at being able to fill the gaps as well. So, um, I think that always comes down to the advantage of having a good co commentator or someone, a color commentator that you can bounce off of as well. Um, so sometimes you have some challenges with some that aren't as naturally talented as others. And that can be a challenge.
0: Yeah, definitely. For sure. And, and the thing is if you can find that one person that you really bounce off with, it makes it even better because it makes your job easier. I know yeah. I, as we kind of discussed, I, I, I we have a, a mutual uh, friend who calls some of the USAFL games. He's just absolutely fantastic. And he he really does good at leading me in when we do, when, when I do special comments. So it's absolutely um, uh it was. It's so cool to to kind of have that fun time to be able to, to to chat like that. So, so yep. I know not all calling is just in the box. Not all, so so I, I love sometimes the boundary stuff. So you I think you 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 had told me pre Mike that you have actually had the opportunity to cover on the boundary and uh, was it an easy transition to go from boundary co- boundary kind of connection to up into the box?
1: No, mate. It wasn't. It really wasn't, and particularly because I'll never forget my first ever game of of, of league footy commentating, was out here at Elizabeth at Convenience Oval. And I got a call up about an hour before the game. One of the main callers called in sick that morning. So um, that was the game I talked about, that familiarity with Central's. Lucky that it was a Central's game. Um, but, yeah, it was a challenge. It was definitely a challenge transitioning from the boundary to uh, to calling play-by-play. Play. Um Donnie, I love Boundary. I did it for two or three years and and I found it as a real niche of mine. I love, I'm comfortable getting out onto the oval at the breaks or after the game and chatting to the players. And I feel like that really brought something to the coverage. It was some community radio stations, again, we were involved in when I was doing it. Uh, and I thought it brought something extra to the listeners. I'd often get fans see me, you know, at a game and go, oh, we loved your interview with, you know, Brady Dore out on the, on the oval after the game. So... Uh, that was a, a real thing that I loved. I miss it. I actually miss it. If there's ever been opportunities in recent seasons to do it again, I've jumped on it. Uh, we talked about Peter Holden. I jumped. I went over to Melbourne and did some boundary riding for a state game over in Victoria. Um, but yeah, I love that boundary interaction. I really do, and I really enjoy um, watching others do it as well. It's uh, it's great to get that real ground level insight, and I love providing it.
0: Yeah, and if you can, if you can gain quick rapport with some of the players, it, it makes it much more comfortable for them too, which I love when when you you can see that when you have the really good boundary writer that can get a player to kind of maybe say something that maybe they kind of hold back a little bit. So that's always fun. So I, I, I'm interested because again, you you have a little bit more of a professional atmosphere than I do over here in the USAFL. So can you kind of just run me through a typical day of calling? How early do you get to the, how early do you get there? Do you know, are you already ahead of who you're going to have as a co-commentator? Do you have color kind of, what is your typical day when it comes to calling?
1: So generally speaking, the sample uh, employ someone that runs the roster and, and gives us notification at the start of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, at the latest, we're knowing who we're calling with and where. Obviously, you always have to be on standby for some some late changes, which I talked about with my debut commentating. Um, but yeah, the, the week will start there. You get your roster, you know where you're going to be calling. Um, for mine, my preparation starts probably about a Thursday night. Uh, once I know the teams I'm doing, uh, the, the, the league teams get released. So you know what the ins and outs, what the changes are that's when I get stuck into my preparation. And um, I spend a fair few hours outside of work doing that. Um, get home from work on a Friday night and I'll chuck the Friday night game on the on the telly. And I'll probably spend at least an hour on each side going through the players individually and just getting a little bit of a background check on them. And I also like to just find out little tidbits of information about them, what they do work-wise, if they've got any relatives that have played previously, uh, and also a little bit of info about what their form is coming into the game.
0: Yeah, and and those those are good because those little tidbits sometimes are fascinating. And some of the things that they find out are absolutely insane. I know the AFL ones, they can get quite funny sometimes just to hear those. So I I could only imagine some of the ones that you might hear in the sandful even more different lives. So so we go from that to, I I love this one because I I think everybody sees the seriousness of, of the, the U S callers. Like everything is very serious. Everything is business-like, but the one thing I got to give the AFL, the AFL and footy commentators I hear over there is you're very loose and and it's a lot of fun. So can you give me a funny moment calling the footy that you can recall?
1: A funny moment. I remember doing a game. I mentioned a colleague, Phil Herden, who got me into the industry to start with. Uh, we were commentating a game at Norwood Oval, which is going to be hosting some AFL stuff with the gather round coming up. Uh, and it was a night game. We were ready to commentate. I was down on the boundary to begin with. And one of the light globes in the tower exploded and shards of glass fell out onto the oval. And I was boundary rider at the time. Phil Hurden was keen. He's a great man. He's always very detailed, very thorough, provides a great statistical uh, information to the sample and he decided that he wanted to get out over to the light tower. It was the furthest light tower from our commentary position. And I just remember putting the binoculars up and seeing Phil and on hands and knees, picking up shards of glass off the oval because the game had to stop. It was It was a safety thing. So yeah. there was a whole crew, including good friend Phil, down on hands and knees, picking up shards of glass so that we could get the game back underway. That's
0: insane. That, that's crazy. And it just shows you one thing can change the complete, but the, the best part is he's a team player to help get the game back. Absolutely. on. That's absolutely. That's fantastic. <laughs> and, and and another thing I, I remember talking with, with Sarah Ollie earlier and, and some of the fun stories that she had just behind the camera, like something most people are never going to see unless a story comes out. So can you tell me a story behind the mic that some people maybe don't know that it's one you're never going to forget?
1: Never going to forget the last game of football ever commentated at Footy Park. So South Australian fans, AFL fans will know the the famous football park down at West Lakes. And another good friend of mine, Don Cooper, uh, we did some commentary and there was an under-18s final at Footy Park. It was North Adelaide and Norwood from memory. And uh, young Will Haywood, if you're a Swans man, you'll remember Will. Mm -hmm. You'll know Will. He kicked nine goals in that preliminary final. We broadcast the game. We streamed it for the sample. But Footy Park was just at the beginnings of its demolition. So Don Cooper and I commentated that game basically from within a crushed demolition commentary box. There was not much there. uh, All the walls were down around us. And it was an interesting spot to call footy from, but definitely a memorable one because particularly Will kicked nine goals and dominated the game.
0: Yeah, so it's almost almost known for two things, the insane situation that you are in, but also the fantastic performance of, of of a young player that has I think has stepped up into the AFL and played great. I, I love Will Hayward. I think his game is fantastic. I'm so glad he's still with the Swans. I think I, I do worry every offseason, oh God, is he gonna go back to South Australia? We'll have to see. But we'll we'll we'll, we'll go from there. So so we'll go back to you, sir. And I know that for every Sandful player, there's always that dream. Can I make the AFL? So I asked this, sir. You've called Sandful, as you said, for so many years. Is there any interest in going to the big time and calling AFL? Or are you happy calling Sandful games?
1: Absolutely love Sandful. Um, it's my passion. I love commentating it. I have been lucky enough to call one preseason AFL game in country South Australia. My friend Phil Hurd, and I talk a lot about him. He and I drove up to Renmark, the country town in the riverland a good eight, eight, 10 years ago and called Port Adelaide and the Melbourne Demons in a pre-season game. So that was a great uh, opportunity. Um, I wouldn't knock it back, Donnie, if someone asked me, can I do it? But I will be honest, if I had the chance to call an AFL game and it meant giving up a sandfall game, I'm calling the sandfall every day of the week.
0: I love the passion and I love the loyalty. That's absolutely fantastic. I, I don't begrudge you on that because hey, it's something that you know, it's something that you're passionate about. I absolutely support that. So so we'll go to it again. You you you've called many Sandful game, and I know you said you're a central central supporter, but I think everybody secretly, though you have a state side, you have do you have an AFL side? And if so, who is it?
1: I grew up being a Crow supporter, not too passionate just because they were at the time the only South Australian side in the competition Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was lucky enough to go to school and grow up a little bit with Stuart Jew. So when he started playing for Port Adelaide, I became a Port Adelaide supporter. When he was at Hawthorne, I was a Hawthorne supporter. When he was at Sydney, I was a Sydney supporter. I follow Stewie, (laughs) so I'm a Gold Coast supporter at the moment, but uh, to be honest, I'm passionate for the South Australian teams. If the Crows and Port are playing an interstate team, I'll be cheering them on. When it's a showdown... It's a flip of the coin. I'm not too fast who to wins as long as it's a good game.
0: Yeah, you're you're the you're the neutral. You're like one team scores, yay! Another team scores, yay! It, it, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I absolutely love it. So, and the fact that you sound a lot like a lot of American fans because a lot of American fans like the Tom Brady situation. He leaves New England, and all of a sudden, yeah. all these New England fans are now Tampa Bay. I was like, really? Seriously? You so, said for me, I guess I I've I've fallen in love with almost the. How, how we say the tribal nature of the AFL, like like you support your team and that's it. Like I, I've always wanted to ask this question, but I'm worried for the responses going. Is it okay as an AFL supporter if I wear another team's shirt because I want to support AFL and footy over here in the States? But I, I'm I'm terrified of the responses because I know one one thing I tell a lot of Americans over here is never tweet. Who should I support in the AFL? Because that is a way for not only your timeline to blow up, but for you to see damn near fights on the Twitter responses because somebody will go, hey, I want you to cheer Essendon, and then three people that totally dislike Essendon to bash them, and then for them to get into an argument on your timeline.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I can imagine that the passion would be tenfold compared to Aussie rules here.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. So, so it's always a fun one there. So, so I completely understand and respect that. That's absolutely fantastic. So, as as we kind of as I kind of related to it, we connected because I put out a tweet because I was watching the Centrals Norwood game this last weekend. Because, as I said, I had the the absolute honor of chatting with Ali Farrell. And I wanted to watch the game. It was on a decent time. So I sat down, put it on my iPad and enjoyed Phil calling the game. And I just happened to, I was like, you know what? I'm going to tweet about it because I'm crazy. I'm a footy head. I wanted to put it on. So you've been calling some of the, we're, we're three rounds into the women's game. As we kind of discussed off mic that we have the South Australian holiday. So there's no footy this weekend. So, I'm sitting up here twiddling my thumbs this weekend with no AFL, no Sandful, and no other footy right now. So I think a few old games might actually hit Free on watch. my iPad this weekend. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, so I ask you this, your thoughts so far, I know we're only three rounds in so far, the sample W because right now I, I, as soon as I think I know who's the dominant team, something throws me off, whether it's West Adelaide starting the season strong and then, dropping a game that I was not expecting him to drop. So this has been kind of a helter-skelter start of the year. So your thoughts on the Sample W so far?
1: Yeah, look, no surprise to see South Adelaide and North Adelaide top of the table. The Roosters uh, have been a dominant force in the Sample. It's in its seventh season now, and I think, uh, you know, they've been a wonderful team. Um, Ali's Norwood girls have had a slow start to the year. I called her first game back from injury last week, and... Uh, by t- chatting to her on, on, on Twitter as well, she suggested that you know, the girls have just lost those close games. I think uh, that's that's been a bit of a, a bummer for them. The improvement of West Adelaide, Donny, you touched on it. And one player doesn't make a difference. You can't you know base it around one player, but uh, Lauren mm-hmm. Young, she's only a, a superstar in the making, 17 years of age. She missed all of last year. West Adelaide won the wooden spoon. She's mm-hmm. back this year and all of a sudden they won their first two games and Westies are up and firing. They've got a new coach. Uh, they've got some some good recruits as well. So, um, But for mine, I think South Adelaide and North Adelaide, the trendsetters in the competition at the moment, they'll be around the mark come finals time. Uh, some improvements showing from centrals and eagles. You spoke about Narelle Smith, the Woodville West Torrance coach. Uh, her girls have been much more competitive and the doggies for the first time in their history in the Sanford W competition started the year two and one. So they'll be keen to to continue that momentum and try and break through for that first finals appearance. But, for mine, I think it's going to be between North Adelaide and South Adelaide for the premiership this year.
0: Yeah, I was I was going to. That was my next question. Is who, who who right now? I know again, we're only three rounds in. Injury, everything can happen. Right now, just just a real quick guess off what you've kind of saw. Who, who's your t- who's your tip between us, uh between South and North right now to to win the flag?
1: Well, I think it's probably South Adelaide for mine. They've got Rick Watts, who's a, a a great coach of women. He's back at the at the helm. And, of course, Chrissy Steen, for those that know the women's coach in South Australia, she's a person you should reach out to and have a chat to. She is one of the most passionate women in footy in South Australia. She's got the, the Roosters purring nicely. Had a bit of a poor second game uh, the other week. But uh, I think if it was a grand final tomorrow between South and, and North, I'm just tipping the Panthers.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I think South has been a lot stronger. I'm interested to see how Glenelg and Sturt go because they've been kind of on and off a little bit. So I'm, I'm fascinated in, because one thing I've, I have I communicate with Rookie Me Central who does a lot of yep. recruiting for all that. And one player that stuck out to me in three games and for me to see a guy I know really well who runs that site, throw her name out there after I had, I had kind of put in the back of my head is Piper Window from from Glenelg. She has impressed me so much with her play i i joked with him online i said i'm a huge sydney supporter i said i know she probably won't leave sa but i'd love to have her in the swans next year next year potentially in in this in this next draft i don't think she's eligible because i think she's underage but it's yeah. fascinating that to see some of these young girls some 16 17 18 year olds that oh my gosh i am so impressed. And the scary part is, is just to think Port and Adelaide are going to get the first cracks to get these girls on, on their list very, very soon.
1: Yeah, Piper Window, one that you mentioned, her dad, her granddad, rather, Gary's a legend out here at Central District, so our first uh, McGarry medalist. So a little bit sad to not see her playing for the Bulldogs in the red, white and blue, but she's a star in the making. She and the likes of Shanae Goody, uh, some other mm-hmm. girls that are really talented, uh, I, I think, the thing that I've seen in what the progression over the last seven or eight years, Donnie, that I've seen with the, the standard of, of girls and, and women's footy is the pathways are there from an earlier age. The girls were coming through now. They've had a footy in their hands mm-hmm. since they were five and six years old. So they've now got 10 years of honing their skills, learning the, the nuances of the game as opposed to getting a basketball or a netballer to try and mm-hmm. convert over. So um, I know a gentleman here in South Australia, Robbie Neal, he's involved with the Sample Women's Program. I've done some commentary with Robbie. He's a great man. And, and his work can't be underestimated. There's some wonderful people that have really worked hard behind the scenes to get that that real pathway there. And we're now we're reaping the benefits of it with the standard of women's footy.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's hard to argue that if you ask any recruiter and you ask anybody that's out there, South Australia – it's really hard to to deny that they do not have the strongest, not only state league, but just the, the factory of youth. And then I know, I'd love to ask you, I'm not sure 100%. I know there's an Ebert playing for North Adelaide. Is she part of kind of the Ebert dynasty or, or, or is it, or is it a distant and not, a, not a relation?
1: No, they're related. It's, a, I think, a third or fourth cousin, but uh, her dad, Daniel, played some league footy for North Adelaide, just over 100 games. And uh, yeah, I saw her play last week for North Adelaide against the Eagles and um, just, I think, 16 years old. So again, yeah. you touched on so the, the young uh, nature of the girls coming through, but she's definitely a talent in the making and has those EBIT DNA genes running through her, her through her
0: veins. Definitely. So, I I I love talking when I love talking women's, but I think you also cover the men's too. And we are getting closer and closer to the start of their season going. So, just a real quick preview: What are your thoughts on the men's comp this year? And is there a team sticking out to you that you think is could potentially be your flag favorite?
1: A little bit like the women's, it's hard not to go past the you know the the sides that were strong last year. Norwood, the premiership uh, team over North Adelaide, I was lucky enough to call that grand final with a very good friend, John Nankerville, a passionate Norwood man, and. I think his red legs are going to be around the mark again. They've only lost a couple through recruiting, but Jade Rawlings, their coach, he's a wonderful coach and uh, I think he's got some some good uh, some players coming in. Jacob Surgeon coaches North Adelaide and I think the Roosters will be up there again. I wouldn't be surprised, Donnie. Very hard to say this early in the piece, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a repeat of last year's grand finalists kicking off again in the premiership decider. I think we'll see the Panthers South Adelaide uh, improve. They've done some very nice recruiting, um, they've had a bit of a turnover of players that weren't able to really get the job done in seasons gone by. So they've brought in some AFL talent and I think we'll see them uh, improve. And the Eagles after maybe a couple of seasons not uh, not dominating as they had done previously, uh, some turnover there as well. James Rowe, an AFL-listed boy, comes back in previously mm-hmm. with the Crows and I think he'll, he'll be good for them. Uh, I think West Adelaide will still struggle. We'll see Central's improve a little bit. Good friend of mine, Paul Thomas, coaching them. I grew up with Paul, went to school together and I think in Tomo's third year, we should see the Doggies maybe win a few more games than last year. And uh, uh, a few other unknowns, the Double Blues, not really sure about. They've got a lot of turnover players as well. But, yeah, right here, right now, I think it'll be probably between uh, Norwood and North Adelaide again for the flag.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, it's real early. It's, it's paper things you're all going off of. And, again, footy can yeah. have this weird thing of one knee injury could change a team's thing. I mean, w- we look at West Coast and, and Port Adelaide last year absolutely horrible starts and they never could recover from that west coast i mean their season just i mean it it hit the basement and it seemed to go subterranean at times so it just shows you that anything can happen so it's always fascinating and i'm going to try to keep as much of an eye on the SA men's as i can with i I cover the afl so but i'm super excited because i i can't wait to see because i know the SA that the waffle and the vfl they have those underagers um that could potentially pop up into your draft and especially with the men's being a national draft i think it'll be fun to be able to kind of see players a little bit before they they make their afl debuts so i'm gonna i'm gonna go into your head a little bit is is there an underager that's going to be playing Sandful this year that we should be looking out for to potentially be drafted in this next draft uh
1: the first one that comes to mind there's a boy out here at central's named brody tuck he's playing in a reserves trial right now and he's He's got an untapped talent. There's a little bit of X factor about him. And I think sometimes some of these players themselves don't realise what they've got. And I think Brody maybe just needs to work on his uh, concentration throughout the game. But uh, putting me on the spot, then there's a couple of others I can think of at uh, uh, Noah. There's a guy from uh, the Red Legs, His name just escapes me at the moment, but uh, uh, look, there's plenty of talent coming through the Sanford juniors. I want to speak of a, a, a player called Rhett Montgomery. He's a central's boy and, a uh, bit of a mature ager. He had a great year at Sample level, overlooked in all the drafts in previous years, and found himself getting an opportunity at Essendon. He's on Essendon's list this year. So there's a great example of where the Sample, despite you being a little bit older, 22, 23, considered a little bit past uh, you know, drafting age, still still plenty of opportunities for mature agers to get picked up.
0: Yeah, and if you, find the right, if you find the right spot in the right niche area, sometimes those overagers can be absolutely fantastic for your list. I know... Sydney has found a way to do that several times. I mean, there's some over averagers that they've gotten rookie drafts and stuff like that, like Dean rampy Jake Lloyd. So if you can find the if if you have a good enough list manager that can find those hidden gems, they could be absolutely fantastic. So can't wait yeah. for it. So we've been talking a lot of SA, but I want to go to the AFL with SA because I'm fascinated about this, the gather round that the NRL rip-off that I whether the name should be what it is we'll we'll, we'll keep that to another discussion (laughs) i'm fascinated by this because unfortunately the s the 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 sample will take the bye week that week because all nine afl games will find themselves in south australia a majority of them in adelaide a couple will find themselves outside so as an sa guy i know you're a sample guy huge how excited is south australia for gather round and and do you think you're going to attend any games during gather round
1: yeah, I think uh, it's really buzzing. You know, I heard the Premier of South Australia, Peter has on radio during the week, and he was saying something like 85% of occupancy for all hotels is already filled up, and mm-hmm. it's going to be a great tourism buffer for for the state. Uh, I think they're very lucky to, that they've been able to secure gather around here. And, yeah, look, I'll try and head along. I might get to Norwood Oval to watch, I think, there's a Fremantle-Gold Coast game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be keen to maybe see Stewie Dew and see how he goes with the Gold Coast Suns. And, Norwood Oval, um, obviously uh, being a doggies man, always fan of Elizabeth, but I lived on the parade at Norwood for 10 years. It became my second home and one of the best grounds to watch footy at. It feels like a real kind of nice little community atmosphere. Uh, So I reckon I'll head to the parade and maybe watch that uh, Frio Gold Coast game.
0: Yeah, and get to see your old buddy. That that's fantastic. Love (laughs) hearing it. So, all right. So, I I need you to do me a favor, take off your commentary hat for a little bit, put on your fan hat because I've told a lot of people through many of my podcasts, I have not been to Australia, it is on my bucket list. I want to get there. In fact, I had a very, very passionate Norwood person reach out to me and go, Donnie, when you said your bucket list, you didn't say South Australia and to come to the Adelaide Oval. So I have amended that and said, I want to come to the SCG, the MCG. I'd love to get the Adelaide Oval. And I'd even love to get to the GABA and even Optus stadium. I know it's, I know it's difficult. It won't be easy, but I want to do it one time. So I asked you this, I'm doing some research. So when I come over, I'm ready. So as an American, we love our food at the footy. So I asked this, what is your go-to food when you go to the footy games?
1: Uh, it has to be the old sausage and bread, the snag, as we call it down here mm-hmm. in Australia. And uh, yeah, that's uh, most grounds have a wonderful barbecue offering. Uh, and I think followed closely by the great hot dog. Nothing like a good hot dog at the footy. Um, I used to be a bit of a traditional meat pie type of guy, but yeah, I think uh, the, the sausage and bread is always the go-to and one of the first things you get to when you get to the Oval.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And then the ultimate, the ultimate one, whenever you come to the game where you got to find the best seat you got to find the best seat in the house to watch the footy so when you go to a game not calling when you go to the game where's your ideal place to sit when you go to the footy i
1: always enjoy that elevated view up in the grandstand so i'll try and head back up towards the the broadcast position i normally sit there but i think looking back over my, my i suppose uh, journey following sample footy there's something pretty passionate and exciting about going down behind the goals as well and watching your team and then following them to the other end when the, when the quarter changes over. So um, that's a great viewpoint as well, but yeah, I, I would think that elevated platform view from the top of the grandstand.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And the question that I always end all of my episodes in, and this is fascinating because you, you watch a ton of sandfall, you watch a ton of AFL. So I asked this favorite game of footy. You have ever seen live on the telly. Doesn't matter. Favourite game of footy you have ever seen?
1: Yeah, absolutely no-brainer here, Donny. My answer is the Central District's 2000 Premiership, the Grand Final. Uh, 64 years in the competition without a Premiership. We'd only made two Grand Finals previously. I remember 95 and 96, we lost to the famous Port Adelaide Magpies. I'll never forget crying my eyes out on the bus on the way home after the 96 Grand Final. We were the best team all year, and Port just too good on the day. But I remember crying my eyes out when Central's won that inaugural flag in the year 2000 against Woodville West Torrens. So was just a fan, but I got to the ground, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, watched the junior finals, got that front row seat on the outer side. And I talk of Stewie Do. I've got a photo at home. I'll never forget it. Stewie doing that premiership victory lap with the team and reached out and gave me a high five and uh, a cherished memory I'll never forget. And certainly that first premiership is always something very special at any sporting level
0: yeah i love seeing i love seeing the smile when they talk about their favorite game too it, it's like when i did my offseason supporter series ask their favorite moment and just the twinkle in their eyes as they said that it's always yeah. so cool to see well, phil that is going to do it for my questions this has been so fantastic again i i can't believe a little tweet thrown out gave me this absolutely fantastic opportunity and as i said i i who would have known the Sandful now would have been such a great investment for me just because I am getting to see footy that right now there's that little bit of vacuum. There's no footy there. So having the the sample W to kind of be that nice little treat to get me into the AFL W and the AFL, I cannot wait for this because it's been so fantastic. So I want to thank you so much for hopping on and, and having a chat with an a lonely American who just loves his footy.
1: Don, my pleasure, mate. Great to have a chat with you and just a perfect advertisement for why the sample now is such a great thing. Uh, interstate overseas, we get a lot of family members that don't live here in South Australia that can subscribe and watch their family. And I can remember just quickly a couple of years ago calling an underage grand final and at quarter time of the game, we had a, a girl come up to the commentary position and said, um, where's this platform? How do I get this game? Because my brother in Switzerland is watching the game out and, and he wants to be able to watch his brother play out on the oval. So, I love that far reaching element of streaming. And that's what I love about the sample now. Great value for money, but great to interact with people all around the world.
0: I'll say this. I know the sample now has jumped ahead. It's absolutely fantastic, but I would love to see the waffle and the VFL potentially trying to find a way to do that because Honestly, if they did, I would invest because I think it'd be absolutely worth it. I have the watch AFL over here, which gives me the opportunity to watch all of the AFL and AFLW games live. And it is a lifesaver because I can't tell you how many times I have tweeted about being awake at 425 in the morning for a seven for a 725 first bounce Swans v. Essendon, Swans v. the Richmond Tigers and getting the swans tweeting my response saying dedicated to the fact that I'm up at 4:25 in the morning to watch the footy. So it, I think it's an absolutely fantastic thing. So do do me a favor. If you, there's somebody that, you know, at sample now, please thank them because I, I genuinely genuinely have loved this investment. I think it's going to be great for me to be able to see more and more footy and to be able to invest in state league, because I think the AFL it's so monopoly, well, not, not monopoly, but it's so big that it kind of takes away a little bit of the, the, the feel of footy. When I talk to people that it's you know, such a, a town, it's such a community type of thing. So to be able to connect with a state league and the the intimate connections that they have with some of their fans, I think is absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah, that's why I love it, mate. Value for money. So Sample now, it's uh, one of the best things that the, the, the local competition has invested in.
0: Absolutely, and I will keep it for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for our episode again. We are closer and closer to the AFL season. And again, keep an eye out. We'll have Sample reviews, w, uh, Waffle reviews, VFL reviews, And we're going to have a Sandful W review here very, very soon after round four to review how the first four games are going. Yes, we just talked about it a little bit, but I want to go a little bit more into detail very soon. So keep an eye out on that. And we will be back again very, very soon with more coverage here on Donnie's Disposal.